powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Lots of questions about the Seahawks. I know the Super Bowl just ended, but the offseason is underway for all 32 teams. ESPN's Brady Henderson joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Hey, Brady, how's it going? Hey, what's up, Stacey? What's up, Bump? How you doing? Uh, we're good. Happy to have you. Uh, I'm going to get started with a conversation Bump and I were actually just having. Uh, we were wondering why we didn't see more from Kenny McIntosh this season because we were talking about development of who will be second-year players in 2024. Any idea why we didn't see more from the Georgia product this past year? Yeah, that was one where he just seemed like a guy. I know he's a seventh-round pick, and you don't always expect seventh-round picks to come in and play right away. But I remember John Schneider saying that you know, he had, I think he said he wouldn't have been surprised if uh, McIntosh would have gone in like the third round, and that's how much talent he had. So, yeah, I, I certainly thought he was going to factor more in. Obviously, he you know, missed what half the season because of the knee injury he suffered uh, in the summer. But I still thought that even when he came back, um, they still would have got him on the field. I know he was only, I think, active for a couple games and didn't even uh, play on offense um, if if more than only if maybe a few snaps. I know he didn't even have a single offensive touch. And so I, the only thing I can chalk it up to is the fact that, you know, they just didn't have – um, enough plays they they had the top three guys and then you get into sort of you know roster questions of um, you know can you get this guy active on game day is he up to speed enough on special teams to where uh, you can justify you know keeping the game day spot for him and so I think that factored into it uh, I think the fact that you know they still had the top three guys that obviously factored into it with you know Walker Charbonnet and then DJ Dallas who was active every game because he played so much on special teams. And then, you know, the other part of it is I think they didn't have enough, you know, plays to get to uh, in, you know, those games that uh, he was active. Brady, um, obviously there's change over there in VMAC. And um, a lot of people are concerned with the newness, right? A first-time head coach, first-time DC, first-time OC at this level. Um, but I think Leslie, Leslie Frazier kind of like, brings a calm to that situation, in my opinion. Um, what concerns do you have with the new regime over there and just the newness of uh, offensive coordinator, head coach in D.C.? Yeah, if you would have asked me, you know, just as the coach search was going on, like what they would have done um, on the opposite side of the ball to where like whatever head coach they hired. So, I, you know, I would have thought that if it was like a, a young, you know, first time head coach like Mike McDonald or Ben Johnson, let's say if it was Ben Johnson, I would have thought they would go with like a, you know, a, an older, you know, more established defensive guy and then vice versa. If it was the young first time head coach, uh, you know, who was a defensive coordinator like McDonald, I would have thought that they would go with, you know, an established uh, offensive coordinator. But, you know, Grubb is not really that. I mean, he's not a young guy, but he has not been a coach in the NFL. He's been a play caller, uh, but not a coach. And so I, I think that's why Leslie Frazier, to your point, uh, was an important hire just because he's been in the NFL forever. He's even been a head coach uh, for the Vikings a decade ago. And so I think he is the, um, you know, he, he is that experienced guy that I think any young, you know, first time head coach would like to have, whether it's a coordinator or whether it's in, you know, the assistant head coach role, like uh, Frazier is going to serve. And so, you know, there, there's still opportunities to, you know, fill out their staff with experience. I know their, their linebackers coach has been in the NFL for a while and, 
you know, I think what we saw from Houston this past season is that, yeah, everybody wants to have experience. And I think generally it's better than, you know, being young with a, a bunch of guys who haven't done it before. But remember, that was a first time head coach, young guy in D'Amico Ryan's, uh, who came from defense, and then his offensive coordinator, Bobby Slowick, was an even younger guy uh, as a first-time coordinator, and that obviously worked out okay for them. Outside of questions about Grubb's experience, sticking with the coaching staff here, um, what intrigues you most? What are you most curious to see about his offense in Seattle? I'm curious to see the shift that it's apparently going to have to make and, and just looking at the numbers and watching UW the last couple seasons and you know, the numbers would back up what your eyes would tell you that that was one of the country's more pass heavy offenses. I think, uh, you know, the number, um, according to our database at ESPN is in terms of drop back rate. So basically the percentage of plays that are designed as passes, uh, I think that was 15th in the country over the past two seasons. So in other words, the 15th most pass heavy offense over the last two years, uh, with Ryan Grubb calling the shots there. And then kind of the same story uh, in his three years before that at Fresno State. I think they were 17th in dropback rate. So obviously, you know, that's not the way that any sort of defensive-minded head coach is going to want to play. And I do think that that was, you know, probably something that they had to work through and during the interview process with Grubb is, hey, how much are you going to be willing to shift gears uh, in the NFL, knowing that you're going to be playing for Mike McDonald. And I think like any defensive minded head coach, he, he's not going to want to throw the ball, you know, 60% of the time, he's going to want to build things more around uh, the run game. Brady, um, Stacy and I have been talking about some things that we want to see, some things we don't want to see. We realize that uh, Leonard Williams is a free agent. Uh, Jordan Brooks got to make a decision there. We want to keep both. We feel like those guys are essential to what Mike McDonald likes to do on defense. How important are those two guys to this defense going forward, or do you feel like there's a scenario where you lose one or maybe both of them? Gosh, yeah. I mean, so many of these roster decisions, it, it, it's so hard to know kind of what they're going to do with their own free agents or other free agents without really knowing what their you know true salary cap picture is going to look like. I mean, right now they're projected to be what five million or so over the cap, but that's obviously before um, you know any sort of cuts and restructures. They've got a lot of guys playing on you know bloated contracts like you know Jamal Adams and Tyler Lockett. I think are both scheduled to count twenty seven million dollars against the cap next season. I can't imagine that both those guys are back on those exact cap numbers. So, you know, maybe you move on from one of them. Maybe you ask another guy to take a pay cut, maybe some combination of that. And, you know, there's other guys beyond that with, with big cap numbers that you could potentially do something about. Um, But that might mean moving on from them. You know, Will Disley, I think he's over 10 million. Quandre Diggs is over 20 million. So, um, I mean, you got to figure they're going to have, a, you know, a, a decent amount of money to play with, but I just don't know. I mean, those two guys, Brooks and, um, and Leonard Williams, I mean, I, I would imagine that Leonard Williams, for instance, I mean, if, if he sees the contract that Draymond Jones got, which averages, you know, $17 million per year, I, I can't see any way why uh, any reason he would take anything less than that. If it, you know, if he's resigning with the Seahawks, I mean, he's, he's a more productive player, better resume, uh, the Seahawks played him more just in terms of a you know per game like snap basis from the moment that they got him in a trade. So he's going to cost you you know more than seventeen million dollars. I think Brooks is going to be well above ten million dollars. And um, yeah, as you guys know, you just can't pay everybody 
Um, I think in an ideal world, they would like to have both of those guys, but I don't know if you can have both of those guys. And, and look, you know, Draymond Jones is a guy who I, I think he's going to be back next year, but he's sort of in a similar point in his contract as Geno Smith is. And uh, he's got, I think, $7 million of his $11 million base salary for next season will become fully guaranteed if he's on the roster this Friday. And so, the you know, Mike McDonald said on your station – uh, what was that yesterday that they've got some big decisions coming up here pretty soon. Uh, and I, I do wonder if another one of those decisions, in addition to the obvious one with Geno Smith, I wonder if another one of those decisions is with Draymond Jones. I'm going to reiterate part of your answer uh, as part of my question, just so listeners kind of know where we're at here. Uh, Gino's got a $31.2 million cap hit this year, which is up from 10 last year. So people are wondering if that extra money's worth it with a little bit of regression this past season. Now, the Seahawks can save $13.8 million by moving on from him, um, but they don't have all day to figure it out. They're probably going to have to figure it out by Friday, as you mentioned, when about $12.7 million of his salary becomes fully guaranteed. Brady, if Gino's on the roster past Friday, what does it tell us about how the Seahawks see him or about Gino? Yeah, so Friday is is an important date. That is the the trigger date in his contract where, you know, over half of what he would be scheduled to make next season would become fully guaranteed. But it is it's that would not necessarily like keeping him past that date wouldn't necessarily lock him onto the roster for next season because they would still have the ability to move on uh, from him after that date. Let's say if if it's a trade, for instance, you know, when you trade a player, you're trading his contract. um, And so they would be trading that $12.7 million to whatever team that acquires them. Now, um, if, if, you know, March 18th, that's another important date in Gino's contract. That's when he would be due a $9.6 million roster bonus. So that is different. If he's on that date, if he's on the roster, you know, on March 18th, the Seahawks would have to pay him that bonus. So um, if he is going to be traded, they could, they, they wouldn't have to do it before February 16th, before Friday, they could trade him between then and between uh, that March 18th date. But I think if they're going to trade him, um, it's, it's probably going to happen between that window because otherwise the, uh, they would be on the hook for the, $9.6 million roster bonus. But, I mean, we could talk about all the options with Geno Smith. It, it's, you know, the numbers are enough to make your head spin. And the, the lesson here is that, you know, football contracts, NFL contracts are so much more complicated than baseball contracts or even basketball for that matter. And so because of that, you've just got a, a ton of options. Yeah, no kidding. I know that you mentioned he'll get that uh, almost $10 million roster bonus guaranteed on March 18th. So if they're going to trade him, maybe they do it before then. Um, but obviously, if they don't, it doesn't necessarily guarantee he's the starter. You still got the draft coming up after March 18th. Do you get any impression, uh, any kind of gut feeling that quarterback could be a position they're looking at at 16? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly. And, and obviously, you know, the, the Ryan Grubb, Michael Penix Jr. Connection is impossible uh, not to make now that Grubb is the OC. Um, I, you know, look, I don't think it's any sort of a slam dunk and, and we all know this, like the, you know, the Seahawks have only drafted two quarterbacks in 14 years under Pete Carroll and John Snyder. And, and you know, maybe that was hard when you had Russell Wilson there and, uh, he was you know, always so durable, and you, you know, and, and in addition to just the you know locker room dynamics of that of, of drafting, you know, a guy and, and wondering about how that would affect you know Wilson standing in the locker room. So there's all sorts of dynamics at play there. But the fact of the matter is, this is not an organization that has you know easily fallen in love with quarterbacks in the draft. And so 
I wouldn't say that uh, it would be any sort of slam dunk that they would take a quarterback, uh, that they would take Penix or, or any sort of quarterback, really. I think, I think they need to do a better job of, you know, stocking the pipeline, um, you know, than they have. But I don't, I don't think you can say for sure that um, even with the Geno situation up in the air, even with Drew Locke, um, you know, not signed, uh, he's a free agent in March, even with that, I, I don't think you could say it's any sort of slam dunk that they're going to take a quarterback early, but certainly it's in play. Brady, what are your thoughts on um, the offensive line? Uh, there have been some experimenting going on, right? You bring over Evan Brown, Gabe Jackson a couple of years ago. Um, you've done a good job, I feel like, drafting your tackles, maybe even a guard and Anthony Bradford, Olu with Timmy. Like, they've addressed the offensive line, but it seems like um, they take a step backward when it comes to just health. If you are the Seahawks, do you feel like offensive line is, is a need somewhere that you need to draft early? Or do you think that um, obviously you address the position and maybe in a different way, but allow these young guys to develop? I, I think it's the former way more than the latter. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to do something along the offensive line. And, and I mean, so much of what Gino uh, of his struggles last season, I, I think you could trace a lot of that back to the fact that he wasn't operating with nearly enough clean pockets. And, and, you know, when he, um, really stepped up and he really started playing better late into the season. I, I think over the last, uh, what, five or six weeks, he had one of the NFL's best QBRs. You know, that wasn't necessarily because the pass protection improved. That was because they made, you know, a, a really determined effort to get the ball out quickly. And they just sort of realized that, hey, with all of the, you know, different people in and out of the offensive line, starting lineup, all the different injuries, you know, a lot of the youth that they had to play with and inexperience, like they just realized they couldn't have Gino, you know, uh, you know, they couldn't call plays that had Gino consistently, you know, dropping back and going through all of his reads and those long developing plays that put him at risk. They really had to make a shift in getting the ball out quicker. And so, um, but, but that wasn't because the offensive line improved. And so, yeah, I think they've, they've got to do something about it. Um, and look, you know, obviously Abe Lucas missed half of the season and he came back, but you know, he's had, they had to shut him down again late in the season uh, and he had to have surgery on that right knee this off season. And so, um, you know, they, they've got to sort of make a determination on what it's going to look like with Abe Lucas at right tackle going forward. I think that you've got your left tackle in Charles cross, but um, with that knee injury that Lucas has, that seems to be a chronic issue. I think they've, they've got to look long and hard at, uh, you know, at least providing some depth at right tackle as well, in addition to the interior. He is ESPN's Brady Henderson, covers the Seahawks for ESPN.com. Brady, you got anything you're working on right now, or do you get a bit of a break here? Uh, yeah, I am. Uh, I've got a story on the, actually the Geno topic uh, coming out tomorrow and just all of the different options and what this February 16th date really means and a lot of the stuff that we just talked about. So if your head was spinning as I was trying to explain all that over the radio, then uh, fear not because it's all going to be in writing tomorrow on ESPN.com. All right. All that info on Geno Smith coming out tomorrow. We can't wait to uh, to check it out. He is ESPN's Brady Henderson. Thanks, Brady. Thanks, B. All right, Stacey Bump. See you guys. Thank you. See ya. You're listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Let's get to Four Down Territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside the game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, it's never too early. What coaches are on the way too early 2024 hot seat? Now that some seats have been filled, yes, there were eight seats that needed to be filled. Yes. Now I'm going to start drama and talk about guys who need to ball out next year or their seat may need to be filled. And I missed this the first time around. can't believe I did. But uh, Dallas Cowboys, Mike McCarthy. 
He is the most successful coach who has the hottest seat that I've seen Wild. ever. Wild. And we understand why, though, right? Yeah, back to back to back twelve coach, wins. Jerry Jones is breathing down his neck, and you only got one playoff win with all that talent with yeah. C.D. Lamb, with Pollard, with Dak, top five offense, offensive defense. line with with Michael Parsons. It's crazy. So Dallas, you got to get a W next uh, next year in the playoffs, or you're done. You probably got to get to the conference championship game, or you are done. And then I look at Chicago. I heard something crazy. Jeff Saturday said, "Look, if I'm Chicago, I'm going to draft Caleb Williams and keep Justin Fields." Why? Why in the world would you do that? Drama, drama, drama. Go get yourself a bridge quarterback. And now I'm looking at the Saints. The Saints are just a team that's in no man's land. And I feel like they've been there ever since Drew Brees retired. Like, what are we doing? What direction are we going? Jameis Winston. Uh, we got Carr over there. What What's going on? And now you look at that division. Atlanta got a new head coach. Carolina got a new head coach. And uh, Tampa Bay had a, a resurgence at the quarterback spot with Baker Mayfield. I think the Saints are in a weird place to where if Dennis Allen doesn't get it done, people are going to be talking about that. And now the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Peterson, Bellingham, Washington, Big Ellis, Bellingham. Uh, two years in a row, 9-8, 9-8. But it's about how they finished this year. All right, last year, they won six out of their last seven games. This year, they lost five out of their last six. And quarterback play has dropped just a little bit. Now, who knows what happens with these guys? I think everyone else is pretty solid. But I'm looking at just where some guys need to improve a bit to uh, keep their spots safe. Those are my squads. Those are good ones. Second down. Yesterday, you said Patrick Mahomes is not the GOAT yet, but there is something he can do next year that you feel will accelerate that process and make him the best ever. What is it? When you think of the greats, you think of Michael Jordan, you think of LeBron, you think of Kobe, Serena. It's all about winning. You win, 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 then uh, you're mentioned amongst the greats, and he's already doing that. But for me, if he were to win a Super Bowl next year, it's a wrap. He's the greatest. No one's ever done it in the Super Bowl era. In the Super Bowl era, no one's ever won back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls. The Patriots won two, Broncos, Cowboys, Niners, Steelers, Dolphins, and Green Bay. But back-to-back-to-back has not been done before, and all these teams have ballers at quarterbacks. Brady, Elway, Aikman, Montana, Bradshaw, Greasy, and uh, and Star. If he wins three in a row, I don't care what he does the rest of his life, the rest of his career, which he's going to continue to win. All right, he will be the best quarterback of all time. Physically, I think he's that already. He's changed the game. He is the Steph Curry of the NFL. Everyone started shooting threes when Steph Curry started going nuts. Now QBs are even training different because of Patrick Mahomes and the way he plays the game. So if he wins three in a row, it's a wrap for me. He's taking it. He's going to get it eventually anyway, but it just, it'll happen faster. And if it's three in a row, even if he never gets another Super Bowl ever, he's, I mean, right now, if Patrick Mahomes retired, he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Add a third Super Bowl and back to back to back, that's wild. Yeah. Third down. Mahomes was drafted 10th overall back in 2017. Now, nine teams passed on him. I love this question. Which one of those nine teams would have a Super Bowl by now if they did pick Patrick Mahomes? Patrick Mahomes is the one quarterback who can change a team, any team he's on right now. I'm looking at the Cleveland Browns. They had a chance to grab him at number one. They go Miles Garrett. Not a bad pick at all. Miles Garrett has done his thing. But imagine him with Nick Chubb and maybe Amari Cooper right now. That defense that they've had over there could be amazing. Cleveland's in a tough division, though. We shall see. The San Francisco 49ers drafted Solomon Thomas. Um, instead of going after our guy, Pat Mahomes, you know what? He would have been teamed up with George Kittle. Marquise Goodwin over there. Eventually, this defense would have gotten better. San Francisco will for sure have a Super Bowl by now. But the most interesting one is the Tennessee Titans. I look at them over there. They drafted Corey Davis early. At the time, they had 
Uh, Derrick Henry and DeMarco Murray at the running back spot. And Delaney Walker was a good tight end towards the end of his career. But I look at what Ryan Tannehill did with that team, and I go, if Pat Mahomes was on that squad, man, the possibilities would be great. I think Tennessee would have the best chance to win a Super Bowl of the teams that passed up on Pat Mahomes. So, yeah, man, it's that time of the year. Hypotheticals all day, especially with this dude winning the way he has. Fourth down. Well, I don't like tough realities, but you've got one for us. What's a horrible reality about the Seahawks roster? Change is coming. It's coming. Whether it be restructuring contracts or cutting guys loose. We just talked about Geno Smith to Brady Henderson. Thank God for that March 18th date. Is that the one he he put out there? Yeah. So there's, yeah, the March 18th is the roster bonus of 9.6 million. So Friday, nothing could happen. And Something could still happen by March 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Lockett is uh, owed $27 million, $27 million cap hit, $19 million in dead money. Don't want to see him leave, but he's getting older. If you're moving things around, you're shuffling money, you got to start at the top. Will Disley, $10 million cap hit, only $3 million in dead. Again, another position where I, I love to see Uncle Will here. I think him, Kobe Parkinson, Noah Fant, that tree over there is nice. But again, you're getting older. Those guys who are getting paid the most are going to get cut. I think uh, Noah Fant's getting paid more than Uncle Will, but Will, Uncle Will's getting up there. Uh, then you got Diggs. Diggs has been, what, a four-time Pro Bowl over here. Don't want to see him go either. I think he'd be perfect in this Mike McDonald defense. But again, you got to start at the top. $20 million cap hit, $10 million in dead. I would love to see all these guys back, and I think there's a way where all these guys do come back. But once you start making these tough decisions, if you're John Schneider and Mike McDonald, there's a possibility that one of these guys could go because they're getting paid the most. You're going to sit down at the table. You're going to say, what do you want? What do you envision? Where can we save money? The guys get paid the most. Uh, that's it right there. So um, look out, man. I hope all, all these guys are back because I think they can help this ball club out, but uh, they will be talked about. Get your questions in for what I need to know. That's coming up at 45 after 866-979-3776. Just about 30 seconds to a minute for some breaking news from John Wilner. Uh, just some quick reaction to this one, Bump. Um, the Pac-12 has formally begun the process of separating Separating from Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov. Now, we're going to lead off Hype Train, our next segment, by diving into whether or not it's George Klyovkov's fault that the Pac-12 completely disintegrated. Uh, I have to say this is the among least shocking breaking news I've seen. Pac-12 doesn't have their commissioner that oversaw the end of the Pac-12. Eh, do a lot of money for a guy overseeing a conference that's dead and has basically two schools. I don't know. General reaction to George Klyovkov leaving, feeling about the same bump? About the same. About the same. About the same. George Klyovkov, that news leading off Hype Train coming up next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Get your questions in for what I need to know. Any question you have, text it now to the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. Right now, let's go over some hot takes with Hype Train. Here we go. News from John Wilner breaking just a few minutes ago. The Pac-12 has formally begun the process of separating from Commissioner George Klyovkov. He leads off hype train with this one. The death of the Pac-12 is not George Klyovkov's fault. If you agree, you're boarding the train. If you don't, you aren't. But you're telling us why. The death is not his fault. Mm -hmm. But he watched it and helped it take its last breath. 
Like he was standing over there and saying, I he could help you. I could help you. And he did nothing to help the situation. He was the Vegas guy supposed to come over for an MGM or something like that. And then yeah. make us more marketable and save us. And he did absolutely nothing. But the cause of death is our good old guy, Larry. Okay. So uh, I guess I'm not boarding that. Train. No, you are boarding this I'm train, boarding but it. you're boarding it going, I have my eyes on you still, George. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The death of the Pac-12 is not George Klyovkov's fault. Now, Bump thinks that George was part of it, but ultimately he's boarding because he's looking at Larry. Uh, Curtis, are you boarding this train? I mean, there are blo- there's blood on his hands. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> he's an accomplice, but it's not entirely his fault. So that means I'm boarding. It's it a is- reluctant boarding of right. the train. For it is not entirely his fault. My man didn't do anything. He didn't do jack after taking over from Larry Scott. As Bump said, he just kind of told us all, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. It's like, uh, George, like UCLA and USC just left. Colorado's gone too. It's fine. It's fine. 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 Uh, George, the four corner schools are gone now. That's okay. We don't need them. SMU and San Diego State are going to fill the void left by USC. I don't don't think so, George. (laughs) Nope. Oh, and by the way, the TV deal never got done. Never, Apple. Yeah. Apple. But apparently it was it was all good. Uh, Larry <laughs> Scott is most to blame. The university presidents who kept Larry Scott in charge for as long as they did, they're to blame. And I think George Klyovkov falls third in line. I agree. I'm boarding, but it's not because he isn't partially at fault. It's just because he's not solely responsible for it. I think it's often we look at the guy, you know, uh, who's last in charge is like, what did you do? And obviously this started long before he got there. I'm echoing you guys by saying he didn't do anything to stop it. It reminds me of that meme. Uh, I've been seeing it on Instagram all over the place and it's a stop sign, but the stop sign is teeny tiny. And it's like uh, when my friend wants to be messy, but you kind of want to see it. Like, you, like you're trying <laughs> oh, to be no, like, don't no, do it. don't. That's kind of, oh, uh, that's, that's kind of George Klyovkov being like, I mean, I think maybe not taking a very serious account of the danger that the conference was in or, you know, not, not doing the really tough thing, which would be to publicly stand up, become really unpopular with the people who made you commissioner and tell them to get their act together. Which that would have been to very do. tough. Which yeah, it's hard really to hard do. to Remember do. Remember that alliance he created with the Big Ten and I think it was the ACC? And they, they had their fingers crossed behind their backs <laughs> like, psych! <laughs> Got them there. Next type train. You can't say Kyle Shanahan coached a bad game. I mean, the Super Bowl was tied 19 apiece heading into overtime. But new overtime rules brought about, of course, some criticism of Kyle Shanahan's coaching. Kyle Shanahan elected to receive the ball first in overtime. At least his team did. Who knows if that was Kyle's job. But Kyle later came out and clarified, look, we wanted to receive first so that we could have the ball a third time and be able to put this one away. He got some criticism for it, but ultimately... Kyle Shanahan made the right decision with the new overtime rules. My man wanted the ball in the third possession if it got to that. And because he made his decision, he made the right decision. Just like Matt Campbell going for Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down uh, against the Niners. That was his decision, right? He has his reasoning, his reasons for making that decision. Me personally, I would have kicked the ball and say, okay, what do we have to do? But because he has a reason, even if he just pulled that out of his rear end and said, oh, we wanted the third possession, I have to take his word for it. I might not agree with his his decision, but 
if he made an informed decision and had a plan moving forward, then I got to say my man made the right decision because it was his decision. I would have done it differently. Curtis, Kyle Shanahan made the right decision in overtime despite critics. Uh, Bump boarded because he said he made the right decision for him, and that's ultimately what matters. My biggest hang-up on Kyle Shanahan's decision to take the ball to start overtime is that, yes, he wanted the ball for the third possession. The problem is, is that there's no guarantee that the third possession was ever going to happen. The second possession is going to is going to happen regardless of what happens on the first, which makes the second possession, I think, the most valuable of the overtime period, uh, at least the playoff overtime period. So that's why I think he made the wrong decision. That's why I am not going to board this train. I think Kyle Shanahan tried to outsmart the room and it backfired on him in a big way. I can see the benefit of both. I think what makes the new overtime rules, which are awesome, different than the old overtime rules is that there's actually a decision to be made. Old overtime rules, a coin flip determines who wins Mm -hmm. sometimes because everyone will always want the ball first. You get the ball first, you get a touchdown, you win. Of course, of course you want the ball first. The new overtime rules actually make it a little more of a decision, which is fascinating in itself. So, Bump, I absolutely see your point about if you make the decision that's right for you, maybe that's what you want to go with. Um, But I think that if you look at the control that you'd want to have over the game, if the first team gets it, scores a touchdown, let's say you win the toss and you defer, you get a chance to win it with a two-point conversion. Now, you have to actually get said two-point conversion, right? (laughs) The other part of this is that a two-point conversion isn't guaranteed, uh, you know, the way that sometimes a PAT can feel. Ironic, considering San Francisco would have won with a a PAT made. Um, But but I, I think it was the wrong decision here. Just if you were playing odds, if you were playing, uh, you know, with like a strategy and what you wanted. Y'all just don't know ball. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> no, no, I'm just playing. I, I mean, that makes complete sense, man. Yeah. The second possession is the most important one. And I, if I'm in his shoes, I'm doing exactly. that. You know, I just yeah. let the man be him, I guess. Curtis and Stacey do Make coin overtime toss decisions <laughs> better than yeah. Bump and Kyle Shanahan Camp LLC. LLC. Next hype train into the station, inspired by a column written by Mike Salk this morning. It's up on SeattleSports.com. The Seahawks should trade DK Metcalf. Easy. Don't um, let that train go by. I'll sit there all day and watch the same same train go by. I'm not trading DK Metcalf. Let the train go by again and bring it back at the same time tomorrow, and I'll let it go by again. I'm not boarding that train. I don't even need to explain to y'all why I'm not boarding that train, but you know I'm not boarding that dang train. The Seahawks should trade DK Metcalf, inspired by a take Mike Salk uh, made this morning. Or excuse me, it's up on SeattleSports.com. Just talking about how the roster is built compared to the Chiefs. It's an interesting read. Bump is absolutely not boarding. Curtis, are you? I just caught a breeze back here from the train that just passed by me. <laughs> I'm not boarding that train. Wind, yeah, it's true. If the Seahawks roster were more built out and let's say they were a couple pieces away from really rounding this thing out and, and jumpstarting it into Super Bowl contention I could see the reasoning for trading DK Metcalf kind of like how the Chiefs ended up with Trent McDuffie after trading uh, Tyreek Hill but the Seahawks roster is nowhere near what the Chiefs roster was at the time of that trade so I'm letting this train go by. The Seahawks are better off with DK Metcalf on the roster than trading him at this point. I absolutely agree. It's also why I'm not trading DK Metcalf. Now, like most people, I can be bought. 
I can be convinced, uh, but also like most people, the price point that I would consider this is just too high to be realistic. I mean, the Bears may not get a first rounder for Justin Fields. The Seahawks <laughs> aren't getting two for DK Metcalf. Next type train. Crack and take it on the Islanders in a consecutive game, a game on consecutive days. Yesterday it was a loss 3-1 to the Devils. Today, though, it's going to be a win. Yeah, good vibes. Good vibes. Good vibes. You can't I'm not board this train. hype train. I'm not an island boy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an island, island boy. boy. The island boys. Uh, Curtis, the Kraken win today against the Islanders. Bump is boarding. If you don't board this one, you're a hater. You know, it's been so long since I've had a, since we've even made a Kraken prediction. I know. I was on a heater to start the season. I think I got two in a row, right? Are you going to make I'm, another one? I'm doing it again okay. tonight. Uh, the Kraken beat the New York Islanders. Four to two. Uh, yeah. They get an empty net goal at the end. <laughs> okay. Making it four two. I'm boarding this trip. Did you okay. see that empty net clapper that caused a fight at the end of. Uh... Yeah, he like. He did a slap shot from like five feet uh, out. Yeah. I don't see what the the big deal well, is. Well, it's. About that. So I talked yeah. to my, my hockey dude. He goes, it's equivalent to like in basketball when the game's over, you like still on the rock and then yeah. dunking it when the time's running out. Let's Stop like, him. All right. <laughs> That's what you're, you got to do. You're Get listening in front to of the pot. Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Get your questions in for what I need to know. 866-979-3776. That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. It's what I need to know. Brought to you by All Red Heating, Cooling, Electric. Get your questions into the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. What I need to know. Do you think Rub would have left for the NFL if DeBoer stayed at UW? If he got an offer, yeah. It's easier in the NFL. Not easier to win because obviously you can dominate your conference and recruit or whatnot, but it's easier to coach because you don't have to deal with all these prima donna athletes and their money in the portal and all these alums. So yeah, I think he would have been gone. What I need to know, what happened to defensive end? It doesn't seem like a position that really exists anymore. The talk is a lot more linebacker. Uh, it's still there. Yeah, it's still very it's, much it's there. Still there. Uh, <laughs> saw a great Huge one in, in the Super Bowl and then Nick Bosa over there. Yeah, defense ends are alive and well. Yeah. Uh, what I need to know, what holiday has the best candy? Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter, or Halloween? I like Easter because I love Starburst jelly beans. Um, I like Easter is the worst candy. Now, okay. Easter has Cadbury eggs. I also really like chocolate-covered marshmallow, which is popular you around Easter. You get everything in Easter. But, okay, but first of all, you get everything with Halloween. Yeah. But secondly, I'll say this. It's all the same. It's a, it's a, it's an egg-shaped Reese's, a heart-shaped Reese's, a exactly. tree-shaped Reese's, and a Reese's-shaped Reese's. Exactly. Like that's but essentially what's happening. What do you really happening. need? You need Reese's. Also, my answer to this is Christmas. Uh, <laughs> the holiday, just for the record, the holiday-shaped Reese's, you know, are the freshest because they're seasonal. It, you don't know how long that just regular classic Reese's. cup has been sitting on the shelf. Sure, and that's a fair point. I think there is something to the egg-shaped Reese's. Even though I said Christmas is my answer, there's, like, more there. I'm convinced there's more in the egg-shaped There ones. is. I, it's, it's a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. Um, but the Christmas one, I like gingerbread and sugar cookie and peppermint. Like, if you it's, do you like the flavors, right? Like, if you love marshmallow and stuff like that, Easter has lots of stuff for you. Valentine's Day is, like, it's just a box of... It's chocolate. It's a box of chocolate. It's Forrest Gump. Yeah. Nothing super special. Yeah. It's all the same. But the answer is <laughs> Christmas. 
<laughs> Bumps at Easter, right? Curtis, what did you say? I'm going Halloween with best candy. Because there's answer. no limitations on, on what could be handed out on Halloween. What I need to know, did you like Beyonce's new country songs? First of all, I, I thought the it. album was coming out in March. I haven't heard it. It's yeah. out on Tidal. Oh, oh, doing that. Yeah. Not going to get me, Jay-Z. Not going to get me. The Carters trying to reach into my pockets. Uh, I mean, I, Kanye finally dropped his and then took like three or four songs off of his album. It went a while for that. Kind of disappointed with Kanye, but second time through, it's getting better. I'm obviously going to go listen. Uh, what I need to know, why are there separate coordinators for offense and defense? Do you think we'll ever see a coordinator who can do both and do it well? No. It's way too much work that's required to do that. You need to be able to get feedback, give feedback, communicate with players, communicate with coaches, way too much of a responsibility. These coaches already don't sleep. Imagine you're trying to coordinate both sides of the ball. Goodness gracious. Uh, what I need to know, if you're willing to keep Gino, does it mean you just throw away the next two years? Not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, with that attitude, you do. You're not, you're not throwing away. That's And then that's just perspective, I guess, because that person sees Gino and thinks that they're holding him back. Yeah. And, and I see Gino and I go, he can help this organization go forward. And then a young QB can ride the wave into um, a Super Bowl. Uh, what I need to know, have y'all checked out NASCAR on Netflix? Are you excited for the 500, Indy 500? Uh, Daytona 500? Daytona, Daytona 500. There's, Indy. Indy. There's Indy 500. Indy There's is, the Indy. Uh, and then Indy is the... Formula I'm not one. even going to pretend to be a NASCAR cars. fan. <laughs> you know, uh, I used to be a yeah. Jeff Gordon uh, yeah, Rainbow you know Warriors fan. Yeah. You know what that is? Yeah, Days of Thunder. It's a it's a beautiful movie okay. starring people. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And he's a race car driver. Cold trickle. And he drives a race car to go rescue this girl that he's in love with who's been kidnapped by terrorists. There's some truth into that. And he says... Get in the car, lady. And then Ooh. he puts on his sunglasses and they drive away. Who's his wife? He was married. Well, she, he met her in that movie. Nicole, Nicole Kidman. Kidman. Yeah, she's in that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, I know that movie. I told yeah. you the entire movie. You did. I was looking at the NASCAR roster months ago and I was like, I don't know any of these guys. Growing up, I could name a few. Dale Earnhardt. Dale Jarrett. Rusty Wallace. Rusty. Jeff Gordon. Jeff, the Tide car. Yeah. Uh,. Who else? Jeff Burton, I think was that was a guy. Yeah. Has to be another Jeff in there yeah. too. Jimmy Johnson, of course. Yeah. Six time champ. Yeah. Thoughts on Tiger's new Sunday Red. Don't like the name. Make Sunday one word. Someone sent in a different explanation that's separate from the article I read of why it is, but then I forgot. <laughs> I just want to give that person credit for trying to help me okay. and apologize for not accepting that information. Must not have been a great explanation if you forgot. It was during a segment where I was like, we were, we were moving quickly. Uh, what I need to know, would you watch a streaming service that focused on people who go after people who are already married? It would be hosted by none other than Reggie. <laughs> it's kind of the plot line of cheaters, it isn't is. it? Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. Yes, but have you guys heard of Temptation Island? Yes. Yeah. It is a horrible program that is so addictive. And for people who haven't watched it before, it's, it's traumatizing. It's, it's really messed up. up. It's couples where mostly one of the couples has like a foot out the door or maybe mm -hmm. isn't the best partner, man or woman, right? It doesn't, sometimes mm -hmm. it's the guy, sometimes it's the girl, whatever. And these couples go to Temptation Island um, and then they break off where it's the men, yeah, there. the men stay in one villa and the women stay in the other, and a bunch of singles come in and try to so messed up. basically get them to choose them over their partner. I'm fighting somebody. 
it's horrible. Like it's Someone's a horrible premise. Hands. And this is what else is is messed up about it. And then I'll, and then we'll move on to the next question. During this show, they show the men and the women that are in these couples clips of what's happening at the other villa, Ooh. but they never show all the context. So there might be someone who is being like really loyal to their partner, but they're having a hypothetical conversation with someone and the host just shows them something that makes that person look bad. So then the person that sees it thinks my partner's getting ready to step out. I better start talking to people. Mm. It's horrible. It's truly chaotic and messy. Did you guys ever watch the ultimatum on Netflix? Yes. Where it was couples that were like Mm -hmm. trying to get engaged and And one of them was was holding things up and they were like, all right, we're going to break up for a week and I'm going to go date somebody else for a week. And then after that week, we either decide to come back together as a couple or you move on with that other person. Oh my God. We have a text from Isaac and Everett. Uh Oh, He said, Ayo, the other day I got into an argument with the wife and she texted back, maybe I should have said yes to the cake. Oh! Wow! Talk about... Dang! Wow! Women be saying some stuff, man. <laughs> they be trying to go for your heart. Good. Take it out and step on Gosh. it. God! All right, you guys, that will do it for us today. For Michael Bumpus, Matt Nelson, Curtis Rogers, I'm Stacey Rost. Don't go anywhere. Wyman and Bob coming up next.